evidence and answers. Everywhere you look, you can see the handiwork of God. From the wind, to the rain, to the animals, to the children. All handiwork of a great and awesome God. And we have historical evidence to prove many of the stories we read in Scripture. The question is, do you believe? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zugren. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, Pat will be sharing a message entitled, Stones Cry Out. We hope you enjoy this show. Now, here's our host, Pat Zugren. Now, when I studied the religions of the world, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, the Hawaiian religions, I found that most of them were legendary in nature. However, when I studied Christianity, I discovered Christianity was uniquely a historical faith. The Bible tells us about actual people who really existed and places and events that occurred in the context of real life history. One of the most powerful evidences for the truth of Christianity comes from the testimony of history and what we're going to be looking at today, one branch of history, Middle Eastern archaeology. You know, I was just in a conversation with a couple Mormon missionaries and I said, you know, there's a lot of differences between Christianity and Mormonism. They are not the same. And we went over the doctrine of God, how Mormonism teaches every man can become a God, that God was once a man like you and I, who through his good life became a God. And there's millions of gods who went through this process and became a God of their own planet. I quoted their authoritative works. I said, we've got a different God. We've got different Jesus. We've got a different gospel message. And then they said, well, what do you think about the Book of Mormon? And I said, the Book of Mormon is legendary. And they said, how do you know that? I said, show me a map. Open up your Book of Mormon. Show me a map of all these cities, the caliber of Egypt and Babylon that covered North and South America. Show me a map. And of course, they couldn't. And I said, you see, there's no archaeological evidence that supports Mormonism. And they said, what about the Bible? And I said, where do you want to start? There are thousands upon thousands of discoveries that confirm people, places, and events of the Bible. There's no book like it that's as ancient with so much historical corroboration as the Bible. In fact, here are what some of the top archaeologists of modern times have to say about the Bible. Dr. William F. Albright is the dean of Middle Eastern archaeology. He is pretty much the founder of modern Middle Eastern archaeology. And he said this, there can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of the Old Testament. World-famous archaeologist Nelson Gluick wrote this. He said, as a matter of fact, however, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. Dr. Donald Weissman, renowned archaeologist, says this, the geography of Bible lands and visible remains of antiquity were gradually recorded until today. More than 25,000 sites within this region and dating to the Old Testament times in the broadest sense have been located. There's no book that has so much historical corroboration as the Bible. 
If you put together manuscripts, coins, plaques, and all these others, there are over 100,000 discoveries that confirm people and places and events of the Bible. So we're going to take a quick whirlwind tour of some of the great discoveries of biblical archaeology. The Hittites, you know, for centuries, and I was taught this in high school and college, uh, they're first mentioned in Genesis 15 and 1 Kings 10, but for centuries, we had not discovered anything about the Hittites. And so Bible scholars and Bible critics were saying these are simply legendary peoples made up to enhance the stories of the Old Testament. Well, up there in southern Turkey, northern Syria, in the area of Aleppo, fought a lot of battles there in the recent uh, war against ISIS. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, archaeologists were digging and they discovered huge cities, Nuzi, Mari, Bokhazkoy, and they discovered huge libraries there. And when they translated them, they discovered that these cities were indeed the center of the Hittite empire. The Hittites had been discovered, and thousands of tablets. This is about the size of cigarette packs. Hey, when you go to the museum, when you go with us to Israel, and you go into the museums, you'll be surprised at how small these guys could write. It's just absolutely amazing. Thousands of tablets were discovered, and it was discovered the Hittite language is actually the early relative of the early Indo-European languages. And now at universities like the University of Chicago, there's a whole department of Hittitology. So the critics were wrong, and once again, the Bible proved itself to be true. In fact, on a side note, you wonder where the Asians are mentioned in the Bible, right? Well, you look at the Hittites, long ponytail hair, the chariots, the armor. It looks just like the terracotta soldiers in China. Okay, the pointed shoes, the curved sword. Many think that the Asian race comes from the Hittite people. The Exodus, you're hearing a lot about the Exodus. And what I was taught in high school and college was that this was simply a mythical event, that it really never happened. And in fact, most scholars, most scholars even today agree that the Exodus occurred 200 years after the biblical timeline, okay, in 1270 BC. In other words, it doesn't match the biblical timeline. Our guide in Israel, he's Jewish and he knew a lot, and someone questioned him and said, do you believe in the Old Testament? He said, oh, no, I don't believe in that stuff. But he knew a lot about it. And they said, why not? He said, the archaeology, like the Exodus, doesn't match up. Well, I didn't want to interrupt him. Because, you know, I, I don't want to get him mad. He's going to leave us out there in the desert or so. so but the Merneptah Stele, okay, this is a large 10-foot plaque that was discovered in 1896 of Pharaoh Merneptah, who ruled from 1213 to 1203 B.C., huge 10-foot plaque that describes his victory over uh, the Libyans in North Africa. But on the final three lines, he mentions the nation of Israel and that he conquered them in the land of Canaan and reads in the final line, Israel is wasted, its seed is not. Well, what did this stele prove? Well, first, this was the oldest reference to the nation of Israel 
outside the Bible mentioned by the Egyptians. Right? Many people are saying the Exodus, that never happened. Israel was never in Egypt. There's no parting of the Red Sea. None of this stuff. All right? Because the Egyptians, you would think, would mention something about the Israelites. Well, here in the Merneptah Stele, they did. Second, it's the clearest Egyptian reference to Israel as a nation. Thirdly, it confirms the date of the biblical timeline. According to 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, if you look at the timeline there, the Exodus should have happened about 1446 B.C. All right, now most Bible scholars were saying, no way. If the Exodus happened, it happened in 1270 B.C., and it doesn't match the biblical timeline, and there's none of these conquests because many of these cities were empty and abandoned anyway by the time the Jews got there. Well, Merneptah Steely tells you what. Pharaoh Merneptah was saying he went and conquered the land of Canaan, and the Israelis were already there and established ruling as a nation. All right? That's way too short for the Exodus and the conquest to happen. If the Exodus occurred in 1270 B.C., they wandered for 40 years in the desert. Then they came to the Promised Land, and it took them decades Decades to conquer the promised land. Pharaoh Merneptah, in his stele, says they were already established as a nation in the land of Canaan. Here's another fun one. Hopefully we'll get to see it this time when we go. Jericho. You know the story, they walked around seven times, shouted, and the walls came falling down. Many biblical scholars, and even I, when I became a Christian, had trouble believing that this story was actually true. And many of the scholars were teaching, and I learned this in high school and college, that the dates all didn't match up, okay? That the Exodus happened in 1270 B.C. And when Joshua came to Jericho, it was an abandoned city, all right? So there's none of this conquest. It's just a fairy tale meant to strengthen and encourage the people of Israel. The datings didn't match up. Well, recent archaeology has found some exciting things. Here is... Mount Nebo. This is in the land of Jordan. And those of you who go on the trip with us will be here. Mount Nebo. This is where Moses looked upon the promised land before he died. And then you see this road here? This is the king's road as recorded in the Bible. This is the exact road right there. And this green area here, that's what? The promised land. Okay, so Moses stood right about where that guy is standing as he gazed into the promised land. Now, one of the first cities they had to conquer there is the fortress city of Jericho. And there's the site today. And there's the mound of Jericho. And when you go to that city, what do you discuss? It's, one of the, it's probably the oldest city in the world, close to 4,000 years old. Here's the tower there at Jericho. It's over 30 feet tall. So indeed... The Bible describes it as a walled fortress city with very high walls, and that's what we have discovered in Jericho. This is the Garstang dig where they discovered a collapse in several parts of the wall. They said most likely due to some kind of earthquake. And what Dr. Garstang discovered is that the walls fell outwards, not inwards. Okay? Very strange. Now, with walls being that high, how in the world did the Israelites get into the city? Well, here's a recreation of the city of Jericho. There's a 
10-foot revetment wall here, and on top of that is another 10-foot wall. This is the poorer part of the city, probably where Rahab, the prostitute, lived. And then there's a second 10-foot wall there. How did the Jews manage to get up these high walls and into the city? Well, in several parts of the wall, they found a breach. Large piles of bricks had collapsed, forming a nice ramp on which the Israelites could run up and run right into the city. And here's Dr. Brian Wood. He's the leading archaeologist on the dig now. There you can see how high those walls actually are. And there's Dr. Brian Wood pointing to one area where the wall collapsed. They also discovered large amounts, jars filled with grain. Obviously, the attack occurred during harvest season, just as the Bible describes. That's why the Jordan was flooded, and they need a miraculous crossing of the Jordan. Also, these large jars are filled with grain. Remember, the Israelites were wandering in the desert. They didn't have a whole lot of food ready at hand. It would have been strategic and valuable to take these jars. But they didn't. Why? Because the Bible says they were forbidden and they were to burn everything down. Also, remember, when you lay siege to a city, what do you do? You starve them out. The fact that these jars were filled with grain shows you the city was captured very quickly, just as the Bible records. They looked at the pottery. They discovered the pottery that dates to the biblical timeline. But what was more exciting is they found these scarab beetles in graves outside of Jericho. Okay, if you saw the movie The Mummy, right, the scarab beetles, these are found at graves and underneath them are dates of when people are buried. And the dates, the graveyard stops at the 14th century. Why? That's when the city was conquered. And in fact, uh, the archaeology was so compelling, the New York Times, in their headlines in 1990, wrote this, score one for the Bible. New York Times, not a Christian-friendly newspaper, but it wrote this, after years of doubt among archaeologists, a new analysis of excavations have yielded a wide range of evidence supporting the biblical account about the fall of Jericho. It may well be true that in the words of the old spiritual, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. For centuries, people questioned the existence of David and Solomon. They thought that they were simply mythical heroes of nation of Israel, like Paul Bunyan you know, or Uncle Sam is to the United States. Because we had never found any reference to David or Solomon outside of the Bible. Here is the greatest of the kings of Israel, and we have nothing of any historical evidence that they existed except the Bible. Well, not too long ago in 1993, a discovery was made in northern Galilee. Archaeologists discovered a black basalt stele, a plaque, a victory plaque, put on government buildings there, and it was a stunning, stunning discovery. Once again, the New York Times in 1993, this made front page all over the world. It says, scholars of biblical history said this was strong corroboration, corroborating evidence for the existence and influence of the house of David in early Jewish history and in traditions of both Judaism and Christianity. And in their excitement, they use words like phenomenal, stunning, sensational to emphasize the importance of the discovery in biblical archaeology. What was discovered? 
Well, they discovered this black basalt stele with 13 lines in Aramaic that could easily be read. This came up decades after David, and it was placed there by the king of Damascus, Ben-Hadad, an enemy of Israel. And he says what? I killed Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel. I killed Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of the house of David. Here an enemy of Israel acknowledges King David and that the kings of Israel descend from King David. Ahab, Azariah, Jehoram are historical figures. Why not King David as well? And in fact, just recently, about little over seven, eight years ago, we've discovered the entire city of David. We were digging in the wrong place. It's south of the city of Jerusalem. Outside of the old city of Jerusalem, we have found the city of David. An entire excavation is being done there, and you'll see it because you're coming with us, right, in September. Sennacherib, 2 Kings 19, tells of the story of his failed invasion of Israel, how he conquered the northern cities of Israel and deported the people, and he surrounded Jerusalem and was going to invade it when at night the angel of the Lord came and 185,000 of his men were killed. Well, many thought that that was simply a mythological event, and we discovered Sennacherib's prism. Sennacherib's prism... Once again, these are small guys, all right? They're about that. It's not like that. It's like this. Amazing what they can write. Okay? It records the legacy of his rule, and he records invading northern Israel, just as recorded in the Bible. And then he comes to Jerusalem, and he surrounds Jerusalem. And he says, Hezekiah himself, like a caged bird, I shut him up in Jerusalem. So Hezekiah is a real historical person. This invasion was real, but suddenly he abandons the invasion, never capturing Hezekiah, returns to Nineveh, where he is assassinated by his sons, as the Bible records. Well, why doesn't Sennacherib record his defeat? Oh, ancient kings don't do that, all right? Even when they lose, they write in a way it looks like they won. Okay, so you're not going to record that great defeat, but it's very strange how he had Hezekiah trapped like a burning cave and never captures the guy. It just suddenly abandons and he returns to Nineveh. In fact, we just found the seal of Hezekiah in 2007. Hey, they're in southern Jerusalem. And we can't go talking about the Old Testament without talking about the greatest manuscript discovery in the history of the world, the Dead Sea Scrolls. 1947, a shepherd boy named Simon the Wolf went looking for his goat. He thought it fell in one of these holes, and he threw a rock in there, and he heard something crack. And he looked in there, and he found these jars, hoping it was treasure. He opened it up, and he found what he thought were these useless scrolls. And so he took some home and used it to burn a pot of stew, okay, and gave some to his kids who played with it and it shattered into the wind. But eventually got into the hands of an antiques dealer who saw there was something very valuable here. And they went to the Dead Sea caves, and they made the greatest manuscript discovery in the history of the world. Hundreds, literally hundreds of manuscripts dating back as early as the 4th century B.C. were discovered, well-preserved 
in these jars. And when they read them, they discovered fragments from every book of the Old Testament, except for the book of Esther, were discovered along with theological commentaries and rules of the society. In fact, the scroll of Isaiah, the long scroll there, is on display that you are going to see in the Israeli Dead Sea Museum when you come with us. Okay, you can see the entire scroll of Isaiah. Now, there's a lot of significance of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Our Old Testament is based on the Masoretic text. The oldest Masoretic text we have is dated 900 AD. The Dead Sea Scrolls, they dated them. For example, the scroll of Isaiah is written about 100 BC. And they matched that up with our Old Testament. And if there was a lot of differences and changes, you can argue our Old Testament has not been well-preserved. But when they matched them up side by side, they were 99% identical. The 1% difference had to do with grammar and notes that scribes would put in. Otherwise, you had an almost identical scroll to our present-day Old Testament text showing our Old Testament has been very accurately preserved. Not only that, even if you don't believe Isaiah wrote Isaiah or Daniel wrote Daniel, at least a hundred years before Christ set foot upon the earth, these prophecies of Christ were already written and they were down. And Christ fulfilled each one in a phenomenal way. And finally, when you read their theological works, you realize that the Jews were looking for a personal Messiah. Okay, today, many Jews say, no, the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, that's the nation of Israel. That's us. We've suffered and paid for the sins. No, you look in first century Israel, they were looking for a person, a Messiah to come. So the Dead Sea Scrolls did a lot to confirm the faith of Christians all over the world. Well, what about the New Testament? Well, it's a treasure trove as well. Here in this beautiful stadium here, the amphitheater here with beautiful acoustics. Junko sang in there, and it was just like singing with speakers. It's phenomenal theater there. And then this uh, hippodrome here where they do the chariot racing. Okay, they're in northern Israel in Caesarea Maritima. Well, who built this place? Well, they discovered in 1961, they discovered a plaque of the guy who built it. And guess who? It was built in the first century by... Pontius Pilate, yeah, the governor who condemned Jesus to death. And there's a plaque there with words in Latin that can clearly be read. You will see that plaque hanging there at Caesarea Maritima when you go with us. And it says, to Tiberius, Pontius Pilate, the prefect of Judea. Here in Galilee, there was an octagonal church built in the 5th century. But when archaeologists started digging in 1968, they discovered there was another church underneath it. And this church was also octagonal in shape. It was actually a house that was expanded into a church. And there was graffiti there showing this had become a place of worship. And tradition dates it all the way back to the first century AD that this is the house of Peter where Peter lived and Jesus did several miracles there and taught there. The tradition is very strong, and it goes back to the first century, so most archaeologists are convinced this is literally the house 
of Peter. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps at a conference, the number locally in Hawaii is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website at evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran.